Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Renee, it's our first podcast. Very excited. Racket Magazine, the podcast, comes alive with a legendary first episode. Can I say legendary? Absolutely can say legendary. In every way, it's going to be awesome. We have on the show for our first episode, Chris Everett. Let's get this right. Yeah. Let's call her Chrissy, because she likes to be called Chrissy. And it's familiar. We are now all friends, as you'll hear. The tone is, you know, relaxed. We get Chrissy on her front porch in Boca Raton. Yes, yelling at her dogs. Demanding that they go inside while she's sitting on her porch, enjoying the Florida weather. Not bad. Not bad. On the eve of the French Open. On the eve of the French. Before she goes over, only in the second week, because the great champions only have to go over and commentate in the second week, as Chrissy does, and she'll be jumping on a plane, and we are very thankful that she joined us before the tournament. So listen up for our episode with Chrissy, the first of our Racket Magazine podcast. Uh, we're grateful she talks motherhood, me too, tennis rivalries, dating, then telling me how to get a date. We're going to have to have her back as our dating correspondent. Yes, she may even go to an ashram with me. Amazing. All right, listen up. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You'll love it. And also, Chrissy's going to tell us a little story when she absolutely smoked Billie Jean on clay. But guess what? Billie learned from it, came back a champion. That's what champions do. They just. All right, listen to what this champion does on our episode. You know what? When she asked me to do something, Renee, it's like, I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to do it. Because you know she'll be a total pain in the ass if you don't, right? Yeah, but she wants to get some racy comments from me, and I've <laughs> got to be careful with her. Yeah, well, it sounds like you know her very well. I'll be, I promise you I'll be gentle, I promise. Yeah, I do. All yeah, right, I well, do. Chrissy, thanks uh, so much for joining us. Now, listen, you told me the other day that you were coming from your academy, just special to do this for us. So I want to know how much actual time you spend at the academy. Well, first of all, thank you for asking me. I, I go to the academy every day. I mean, I mean, when I'm when I'm home and I'm not away at Grand Slam tournaments, um, I go there at least four times a week in the mornings or in the afternoons. And and I hit with the kids. And it's it's really funny. We started this academy, the Everett Tennis Academy, 24 years ago. Oh, jeez. Sorry. My dog's is, that, is that your dog? Is that a, a, is it an iguana that it's racing after? Okay, so these dogs are out. Need to be inside if I'm going to be outside, <laughs> yeah. right, girls? Unless they want to be guest yes. stars on the show. No, they're not. They're not. So anyway, I have two dogs, <laughs> um, and we started this academy. My brother John and I, 24 years ago, and at that point, I was training or hitting with like the 18 year olds, and now at 24 years later, guess what? I'm with oh. the 10 year olds, and, and but you know, the 10 year olds these days are good. That's all I can say. 10 to 12 That's hilarious, Chris. 
I, I got to tell you, when, whenever I hit with any of the kids, I'm like, listen, if you can set me up with a 13-year-old, I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're at the 13. You're still up there. I'm at, I'm at the 10s. And they look at me like I'm a cave woman or something, like the dark ages, because I still hit my flat forehands, and I still – I drop shot. I drop shot them. I lob. I mean, I really – you toy you know, with them. I, I absolutely toy with them. And they sort of have terror in their eyes when I approach the court, when they know that I'm going to be hitting with them because they know that I'm just, that's the way I'm going to play. Good. More of them should play like that, I think. More of them should play with all the tools in the tool belt, right? Well, we didn't have power in our day, but we certainly had the shots and we had finesse. And nowadays with this power game, you know, if, if more players would incorporate, I think the touch shots, the finesse shots, I think, it would definitely enhance their game. Listen, as a collegiate athlete, I've had the privilege of going out and hitting with Renee on the uh, public tennis courts here in New York, and uh, there's not a lack of power. I'll just say that. Oh, please. Yeah, but Renee wasn't in my era. Renee's a lot younger than <laughs> how, I am. How much? That was, not I that mean, much I think younger. a lot, like maybe three or four years, but a lot. Only three or four, no, yeah. A lot, you're a lot. And you were, I feel like power came into the game, actually in my era, at the end of my career with Steffi and with Monica and they really were the ones that started the power game and then ever since then it's it's really taken off and it's you know really it's been wonderful for me to see. Chrissy we're going to have Jason Biggs on our podcast and he comes down to play your charity event you have so many great people that come and play your charity event and one of the things that I love about you so much is that you've given back so much to your community how, how important is that do you think for the players now that are, that are so well known to give back philanthropically to their communities? You know, I think it's really important. And I, I mean, I started giving back after I retired, but a lot of these current players are giving back while they're playing. And I, I admire that. I mean, Roger Federer travels over to Africa once a year and um, for his foundation. And I know a lot of the top players, they can balance that. They can still do that. And, you know, I think we all feel so fortunate that we're in, in a business that, we love, we have a passion for, we make a lot of money, we travel the world and, you know, we're fortunate. And there are a lot of people in this world that aren't as fortunate that haven't been, been given that deck of cards, you know? So I think it's our responsibility. I don't think it, it's like, well, makes you a good person. I think it's, it's, it's kind of our responsibility to give back to those less fortunate. And I'm proud of the fact that a lot of the, the active players do that. They don't wait till they're retired. They do it right away. Well, Jason says it's a fantastic event. And, uh, and we, he wants back. We made him commit on the air to coming back. So if you want him, you've got him. Okay. He's good, by the way. He's a good player. He's a very good player. And he's a lot of fun to play with. And Renee, you've been nice enough to come down to that event too every year. My foundation and my cause is the fight against drug abuse. And I think that's sort of a subject that has a taboo to it. It's not a, kind of a sexy sort of uh, charity. You know, it's, it's one that people make bad choices or people are born into an environment where they can't help themselves and they have very little choice. And, you know, it's all about giving people a second chance in life. So, and I think everybody's affected by it. Everybody, if they don't have somebody in their family, they know somebody who has been affected by it. Uh, drug abuse and it's definitely you know an epidemic that needs to be addressed right now yeah i mean our country has been waging a two three decade long war on drugs with no success and you know there's an opioid crisis going on in the middle of the country so it's relevant yeah no it it is and it's it you're right it's it's changed from you know that first it was you know heroin and then it was cocaine and then it was marijuana and and now it's opioids and it's painkillers and it's really serious. And the prescription drugs epidemic is, is very serious. And you kind of wonder if doctors are just handing these out a little bit too freely. You know, it's very much like a mental, mental illness, which also has a taboo. You know, it's these, these causes that are uncomfortable and that have judgment tied to them are the ones that really need to get out there with. And, and we need to feel compassion and understanding. Um, of these of these issues because they deserve it. Okay, so we're talking to you on the eve of the French. And uh, obviously everybody's been talking about the fact that Rafa Nadal is the king of clay. His win percentage is crazy high. Um, but we've crunched some numbers uh, and we wanted, since we knew we would be having you on the phone, to tell us how you think about the moniker Queen of the Realms of Dirt, Mother of Dragons, first of her name, Chris Everett, Queen of Clay. Yes, because Rafa, as we know, is dominant on clay at 
0.89 winning percentage. Chrissy, you still got him. Good. 94.55. I mean, can I just, I just want to wrap my brain around that for a second. <laughs> that you, in all your 382 wins, you only lost 22, uh, 22 times on clay. What the, f- Chris? Yes. I don't know if it's possible to have that much patience, but clearly I was not a clay caller. Yes. Tell me okay. how, and yeah. was that growing up in Florida on clay? Did that help? I will tell you. I w- there's a very simple explanation because if if I was like the greatest player ever in this era, I couldn't do it. It was for the simple reason when I came up in the 70s, all of the women, because the three Grand Slams were on grass, all of the women, nobody had ground strokes. Everybody had served, everybody served volley. Margaret Court. Now think about it, Renee. Margaret, yeah. Jean, yeah. Rosie, Marion Eisel, everybody. Patty Hogan, all the Americans, all the Europeans, it was about serve and volley. And if I could get four or five great ground strokes in the court in the beginning, I think I'd beat Billie Jean six love, six one when she was number wow. one, when she was number one in the world, you know, it, that's how, how pissed was she? Come on. How pissed was she? <laughs> um, well, she was competitive. So of course she was pissed, but she later on, she actually won the French. So she was un. she learned how to play on clay and she was a great clay core player. So you obviously taught her a lesson of how to play a little bit better on clay. Yes. I think I was like 15 <laughs> or 16 when I beat her that badly. And then she went on, you know, then to win. But she, you know what, maybe she like got really sort of inspired by on how to play on clay and she perfected her ground strokes. I remember she came, it's, it's really interesting. When I was 16 years old, she flew down to Florida for a week before the French open. And we practiced every day for four hours a day. And I wasn't even going to the French. And she asked me if she could practice with me on clay. Cool. And we trained every day for like four hours. And she she was was hitting 100 balls in a row in the court. And she went on that year to win the French Open. So I she kind of, you know, I kind of <laughs> take a little responsibility for that for that title. That I was going to say but, you should count that. Right? Can we say that? You should count on. that one. Ten on ten on clay. Um, but she helped me later on in the grass. You know. We, I, she practiced with me a lot on the grass courts and she helped me to develop, you know, sort of a, a better grass court game. So, you know, the players in those days helped each other, which is kind of unheard of in today's game. Well, that's actually um, kind of funny because we talk about Serena going on. She's like 23 grand slams. You know, a lot of people talk about her, arguably the greatest of all time. But I had a little bit of a thought process one time. I'm thinking you and Martina were in the same era. Okay. I mean, basically you both won 18 grand slams in some respects. If it wasn't for Martina, you could have potentially won 40, Chris. I mean, or (laughs) vice versa (laughs) or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, how, I mean, honestly, isn't it, doesn't that kind of piss you off that Martina was there because you could have really had about 30 grand slams. No, no. If if she wasn't there, I wouldn't have played to 34 years old and I wouldn't have peaked. You know, we pushed each other. It was one of the great, if not the greatest, one of the greatest rivalries in tennis. Um, I'm so proud of that fact that we had one of the greatest rivalries in tennis and that we brought new people to the game and new interest to the game and that we spurred each other on to work harder and harder. You know, I, I think that I helped her become mentally stronger. She certainly helped me to become physically stronger. Um, so that, I mean, I, no, I, not for one second. I've thought about it like, wow, we could have won because you know why, when I think about it, I think about it when everyone puts so much emphasis on how many grand slams you've won and it's like, hello, you know, I didn't play eight Australian opens because it was during Christmas, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, let's say Steffi, look at Steffi as great a champion as she is. I mean, you can't overlooked the fact that Monica Sells was number one in the world when she got stabbed and Monica was out of the game for two and a half years. And Steffi, you know, really that's when she won more, a lot of her grand slam titles, Billie Jean, you know, she didn't, she gave so much to the women's game that she put her, her own tennis career second and she could have won a lot more. Uh, Margaret court won 11 Australian opens because nobody was playing a lot of time uh, those years, no one was playing. So it's it's kind of like you kind of have to balance. It's not only to me Grand Slams, but it's tournament wins, it's percentage win loss. I mean, you have to. Don't you think you have to think about the whole 
um, ball of wax before you just like point to somebody and say, okay, they're the greatest ever because they've won more Grand Slams than anybody. I, I mean, not to toot our own horn, but uh, you kind of just described the ethos of Racket Magazine. We started it because we wanted to elevate the game again. And I think especially in the United States, we we like counting championship rings on players' fingers or trophies um, and assigning a lot of meaning to that. But I think just what you were talking about in terms of the flow of the season, taking the tennis to all these communities and getting players not just in the top 10, but 200 that you were talking about in in people's homes and and in front of them was kind of a a part of the game that I am a little sad went away. And, you know, if we could have some small part in bringing it back, it would be better. You know, in the 70s, it was the tennis boom. And it was a very exciting time because more and more kids were playing because the moms in the 70s, the moms weren't working. And the moms would take pick them up from school and take them over to the courts. The moms would play with them. Because I remember growing up at Holiday Park, there'd be a, almost every court was a mom with a kid. Once women started working, the, it dropped with the kids. But it also dropped when team sports came into effect. I mean, because there are a lot of kids that want that camaraderie and want to play with their best friend. You know, tennis is an individual sport. Not every kid is is cut out for tennis because it is individual. Um, the other thing is tennis, you have to remember, maybe because in the United States it suffered, but it's global now. In every corner of the world, tennis is number one or number two, is the number one or number two sport in that country, small or big. So it's become more global. So there are more people playing tennis, no, no doubt. But, you know, because of all those reasons, especially the team sports, et cetera, you know, it looks like there's been a decline in the participation of tennis. I mean, it isn't, it's becoming, it used to be a rich man's sport along with golf, but I think it's becoming more reasonable Reasonable with the public facilities that they're building now. And the USTA is, is really helping a lot with um, the underprivileged kids and the under-resourced kids. They're, they're putting some money back in the game in that area. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we can get tennis to come back the way it was in the 70s. Christy, speaking of that we're not in the 70s, obviously we're very much, you know, 2018 now. Can you imagine playing when you were playing the social media aspect and every camera on you. I mean, would it have, I, I want to know because your reputation is of course the ice queen, right? You were so perfect on the court. And FYI, I was told by somebody that if I wanted to win my first grand slam, and I've told you this story, I had to be, try and be Chris Everett. Literally, those were the words that were told me, which you know I'm is sorry. absolutely impossible for me to do because I was a I'm maniac sorry. on the court. But I know. can you, you Im- thanks. Can you imagine social media back in your day? I mean, seriously. No. I am so glad I came up in the 70s when I did. Um, We had one phone in our house and we had one TV in our house and we wrote letters and, you know, it's no, because privacy has always been a big thing with me. You know, I've always, as you know, you know me, I've always been a private person and I I shudder if my private life is out there and, and I'm not, um, I'm just more inward and I just can't even living in a fishbowl right now, these players are dealing with so much criticism and um, so much praise at the same time, but they, they really don't have, there's no privacy anymore. And I think that's priceless. I don't think you can put a price on that. So no, in answer to your question, I'm glad that I did not come up in this day and age, you know, and, and large in part for the fact that it's just a different environment out there for sure. I bet you somebody would have made a great gif about you somewhere and put it out there on Twitter, like just ice queen, but they would have caught, I'm, I'm, I know sure. you pretty well. I'm, I'm sure somebody would have caught an F bomb finally from you. Oh my gosh. Well, well, come on. I don't think I would be the same. I, no, no, no. I don't think I would be the same kid um, in this day and age that I was in the seventies. I would for sure be more fearless and, you know, I'm not saying that I would be like, you know, the most fearless player out there, but I think that parents are bringing the kids up, up a lot different and believing in themselves and that they can be anything that they want. And they're giving them a lot more confidence. And I think I would have been more vocal and I would have been more expressive for sure. No, no doubt about it. You, the, that's the way I am now. But in that day, you know, that was, you know, everybody was, you know, women athletes were not really being accepted yet. You remember that. And we're trying to 
sort of navigate how we should act on the court because it was all about male athletes and women athletes were still not accepted and until you know really until way into the 70s and it was just a different environment for women in sports back then but I for sure would be a lot different nowadays. I mean frankly as a female watching the you know this is one of the few sports where you can see female excellence in athletics and you have been able to for three decades I mean that's a special thing that there and it's not an accident that there are very few professional women's sporting leagues where people can make a year-round sustained living from this and you know hats off because I it's important and visibility matters um you know sort of related to that you know I think at this point we're sort of at peak athlete saturation on all of these uh platforms social media twitter all the all the things you know and and we had a really interesting example uh last week uh, with Karolina Pliskova taking out an umpire stand, <laughs> you know, which within seconds is yeah. all over the place. This is a player, I, as far as I can tell, really well liked, kind of, you know, cooler at, on the cucumber end of s- the scale than than a hothead. Yeah, and gets, gets kind of had that re- reputation of like, oh, she doesn't show any emotion. She's like, you know, you know, this boring, blah, blah, blah. And then she loses her shit. And, and, and does what she does. And now it's like she's gone to the opposite spectrum. What did you think about that snap of hers? You know, whoa. I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, I, I honestly couldn't believe it. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know her as well as you do, Renee. You've coached her before, so I'm not quite. But And she always has been very measured and very um, calm on the court. So to see that shows, you know, she's got fire in her belly and she's, and in the good sense, it wasn't the action wasn't good. But for me, the way that she showed that she cared and that she was very competitive and um, she was, you know, very visibly upset about it. I, I, I don't know. I don't really know what happened. She kind of she snapped a little bit, I guess, not a little bit, but she snapped. And um, hopefully she can pay her fine and apologize and and, you know, she can move on. You know, I, I think it shows just maybe shows that the quiet ones really do have the fire in their belly, but you know, it takes a lot for it to come out. You got to watch the quiet ones. (laughs) Yep. Thankfully for social media, not only does the story become, you know, mild mannered check loses her shit on a chair, but also simultaneously, you know, you had the shot that she was robbed on at five all deuce so that at least that was an accompaniment to the narrative. Yes. It wasn't just, you know, the headlines in the newspaper yes. the next day. You know, unassuming woman murders family <laughs> next door. You know, it's like, no, no, no. They We, we had the shot and you kind of were invited to empathize yes. a little bit, which yes. I, you know, I, yeah, I did. Sure. At least. I couldn't believe. I, I mean, they replayed it a few times. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's inside the line, you idiot. And if it's if there's if there's no mark outside the line the umpire should call it in right away. And between the linesman and the umpire, um, it was, it was, it was a horrible, horrible moment for her. And it was a terrible time in the match for her. And it was a big match leading up to the French open. It's a big match and it was horrible. And in, in saying that it still really doesn't excuse her action. I mean, that's, I think she, that just what she definitely went a little bit too far with that because somebody could have been hurt. Somebody could have been hurt. I was disappointed in the reaction, but but I did have compassion for the fact that she really lost the match at that point, and it was very unfair. I just I just had a thought that oh, just to see you do that one time in your life would have been so great. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of her and the French coming up, um, yeah, what, what do you think? I mean, uh, who do you think's the favorite? Who's your favorite in the women's side? Oh. I mean, I we, we don't even need to talk about who the favorite is on the no, men's. I, I mean, know, it's just I like, know. why don't you just, if you have any money, just put it on Rafa. But with the women's, what do you think, Chrissy? Uh, I think that there's a case for like eight players. Um, I, if I'm going to put all my money on somebody, I, I wouldn't do it with, with a lot of conviction at this point. Um, I think, uh, but if I were to do it, I'd, I'd put my money on Simona Halep. Um, if she can have a good mental attitude, hopefully she's learned from these other losses and in Grand Slams, especially this time last year when she lost to Ostapenka, that um, hopefully that's made her want to win a Grand Slam more and more. The fact that she's come within inches, within points, Australian Open, Caroline Wozniacki. So I, I think she, I'd have to put my money on her. Um, 
Uh, but you know what, Renee? There's a case for Pliskova and Svitolina and Kvitova and Wozniacki and Ostapenko. It's it, there's just a a multitude of of you know great talent here that on a given day um, anybody could win it. And I think it makes it more interesting. It makes it more intriguing right now. Um, and these these all these ladies have been playing great on the clay, which is you know kudos to them. Plus the fact that you've Maria Sharapova all of a sudden is on strong. It, it, hey, you got to throw her in the mix for sure. Serena is, is the unknown. I mean, Serena is a champion, no doubt about it, but can she put together seven matches in a row after not being out of the game for a year? You know, that's, that would make her superwoman for sure if she could do that. Yeah, I mean, that's the obvious question, right? It kind of gets to the some of the rivalry question we were talking about now. You know, obviously Serena's got 23. Had she had a big rival during, you know, her time consistently you know, Maria wasn't it. Simona Halep, not they didn't quite line up. You know, maybe that that is going to who it's going to come down to. But, you know, Serena with a kid, you're a mom, you know, <laughs> walk us through like, you know, how cool. do you keep your singular focus on two weeks of tennis? I'm a mom. I can't keep a singular focus on two 20 minutes of anything. Right. <laughs> like I, it's hard to imagine, you know, a more difficult task than newly back to the tour with a child. I think, Chrissy, because for, for me, I think the thing that's really separated Serena through the years is her unwavering desire to not lose a match and to, I mean, to die on the court rather than lose. I mean, you, you know her fire. You had a similar fire. Martina had a similar fire. Steffi, Monica, all the greats have that that different edge, that, that edge. Do you think, honestly, like having this child, because we know how much she loves this kid. I mean, we've seen it on Instagram do you mm-hmm. think that there's any chance, and I know Serena pretty well as well, do you think there's any chance that this child will change that slight, like, dogged, determined edge on the court? Mm-hmm. I thought having a child would, only because I know how I felt when I had my children. I mean, I didn't want to go outside the house. You know, I just wanted to be with them and um, breastfeed and, you know, just, yeah, we need to, yeah. And, and I think Serena did. I think Serena, hopefully she did. I really thought it would because I, I don't know, because it changed me. And I felt like I was pretty single minded out there, too. But I'm I'm not sure now. I'm not sure because I think Serena is the master at compartmentalizing. And I think Serena, as you as you mentioned, I think she has more um, of a passion, more of a need, more pride she she goes for she just goes for it and i just think that i still think she has that um competitive side inside of her and i don't know i don't know if that's changed i think that she just will have to compartmentalize and and honestly not give her child a thought when she's out on the court for 2 hours you know and if anybody can do it we've everybody says this if anybody can do it it's going to be serena but um you know, I'm, I'm kind of more concerned right now with her winning, with her uh, match toughness. I mean, she's going to be rusty. She hasn't really played any match. She hasn't played any, any matches on clay, has she? Really? No, I don't think so. None on clay. No, no not, and not a single match. Honestly, the field has improved. I really feel when I look at Pliskova playing Svitolina, Kvitova, Wozniak, Astapenko, I mean, the field is better than when she left. And they are not intimidated by her and they they feel that there's no she no longer has an edge on them so i i i think there's a lot of things stacking up against her chances at the french open i feel a little differently at wimbledon because i think her strengths will give her some free points but she's got to work on work every mm-hmm. point value every point at the french open and i don't know if she can do that seven matches in a row she, like i said supernatural Supernatural. Wouldn't it be amazing if finally the rivalry that a lot of us sort of were hoping that Maria and Serena would have would yeah. would come down to this tournament now that Maria is sort of yes. resurgent and has won it? Yes. Yes. That I would love, be so I, cool. I love, I love that storyline. I love the Sharapova-Williams um, rivalry because it's so... One-sided. Feisty. It is one-sided, but it's so intense. Both of them are so intense and they're so opposite. You know, they're just in their person. It's just very much like Martina and I, you know, it's like very, there's such a contrast in personality and style, et cetera. And, 
and you get the sense that they really they don't like each other when they're on the court. And I just, you know, it's just a lot of intensity. And I think everybody kind of enjoys that that sort of picture, and and they enjoy that event every time they play, even though it's one sided. They still enjoy it, and that would be, you know, two two players, Maria and Serena, at their and, and by the way, at their best. Those are two of the mentally toughest players in the last, you know, twenty years, hands down. No question, right? No, no question. So that's why you get that added popcorn sort of intensity. Yeah, you get that added element of and layer of competitiveness that is like, it's it's just mesmerizing to watch it. It's hard for me to commentate when I when those two play because I kind of want to be a spectator and watch them. I had an epiphany last night, Chrissy, and my epiphany was your love life, okay? Because, listen, let's be, just be honest, okay? Both of us are a little bit of a disaster right now, okay? So <laughs> we're both single, and, and I, I was thinking, I think the key for you, and you can give me any advice you want, but the key okay. for you is you, got, you cannot date another athlete, okay, ever again. Yeah. No ever, tennis ever, players, ever, ever, ever. no skiers, yeah. no golfers. I agree. We, we got to get you to New York. We got to introduce you to an accountant or, or, or a banker, maybe a banker, uh, or a, you know, a lawyer or a, some something else. What, what, what are your thoughts on Business, that? A, a businessman. A, a nerd. You need a Business. nerd. You need a nerd. I need a nerd. You need to find like Serena found. You know? I need a smart guy like Serena Femme. Wow. Okay. I need I need smarts and I need humor. Sure. And I need kindness and I'm happy. Okay. So so should we do a Bumble account for you? No. No. Um, again, this is social media part that I don't like. This is the invasion of privacy that I don't like. I have to say I've enjoyed. I've I've been alone like alone being not married the last eight years. And it's been a really nice time for me in my life because I've always been in a relationship or I've always been married. I mean, I've had three husbands, but then it's so funny when people bring up that fact, Christy's had three husbands. I go, well, Martina had like 14 girlfriends. <laughs> you know, we're going to tell her that when her she comes on to all, the show. I mean, they were pretty much married. So, you know, lay off a little bit there, babe. Yeah, that's true. Um, I've had more girlfriends right? than you've had husbands. So, yeah, I mean, we're giving a bit yes. of a hard time, really, because you... Yeah, exactly. The, the successful marriage to me was Andy, because we were together for 22 years, and we had three children, and we still parent, and we're still great friends. And so, I mean, I'm in a family, okay? So I, it's not in a romantic situation, but I, I feel like I'm in a, a really secure family environment, which is which is great. Um but anyway, just going back to my time alone has been just about kind of examining myself and, you know, figuring out issues that I probably should have figured out when I was 18, 19 years old. This is, this is as you know, Renee, this is a tough life. You don't live a normal life. You don't, you don't have a normal childhood. You don't go. I mean, I didn't go out a lot when I was a teenager. I was playing tournaments. I never went to college. And I was thrown into, at 18 years old, a, a, a tour with 30, 35-year-old women. And traveling around the world and, and not being, not having to be accountable for anything. I mean, basically just to, to being accountable for my tennis. So everybody does things for you, you know, whether it's look after your money or wash your clothes or, you know, get your meals or, so it's a very, you know, it, it really, I, I needed to grow up at this late stage of my life and, and, you know, learn some, some tools. And, and so it's been a good, it's been a, it's really been, um, a, an eye opener for me. So I'm, I'm at a good peaceful place. That's wonderful. And I also want to note that if the offer is on the table, if you do want to give Renee dating advice, I think it would help the rest of us, you know, lift a bit of a burden. So, you know, just think about that. Okay. I would say uh, my advice to Renee would be, here we go, would be to be friends first um, before she jumps into a relationship because Renee is a very passionate and very, you know, you, you just jump into things, I think. And, um, you know, we love that. We're, your friends love that about you because you are passionate about everything that you believe and the people that you love. And, um, but I would just, you know, just take a slow and, and be friends and, and take your time with the relationship. That's my advice, period. Wow. I never thought I'd get dating advice on my own podcast <laughs> by Chris Evert. 
on, it's, on it's women. A, on women. That's amazing. Thank you, Chrissy. I, you're I will definitely go the friendship route first. So, so you're telling me no sex for six months? Is that is? Do you have a chill on the, chill on the physical part and and the have expectations a and don't be don't be so impulsive. Just be you know just kind of be chill. And friendship is important and get to know the person really well. You know, I did see a psychic recently, and one of the things that she said to me was, "Play it cool." Like, cool, Renee. So, I mean, you and the psychic, same words. That's oh, freaking me out well, right now. Both, I mean, those two influences saying the same thing. Okay. But you, you're you so cute because you get so excited when you find somebody that you, you that you like. You know, you get really excited like a little kid. And it's, it's like, it, it's romantic. It's really cute to watch. Well, I'll, but, be, I'll be sure to but, call you when that happens. Don't let them see it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll call you. You'll be my call to, to tell me to be cool. I love it. I was told if I want to win a Grand Slam, I have to be Chris Evert. Okay. And now I'm being told if I want a, a serious, loving, long-term relationship, i got to be cool from Chris Evert. I mean, my, my life has just been fucking completed, Caitlin. I'm watching seriously. It. It's amazing. Can you say that word on this? Yes. You can say whatever you want. You... Oh, my God. What about kids that want to listen to it? Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, steer them in another direction until they get parental <laughs> consent. We're worried. I keep waiting for you to drop an F-bomb finally after oh, all these years. I'm not going to drop an F-bomb. I've never done that in my life in public. Why would I do it now? Oh, Chrissy. I, I've been with you, uh, after a couple of red wines. That's personal. Oh. I said in public. I'm not, I'm not like in, when hundreds or thousands of people are going to listen to me, I'm not going to drop the Okay. F-bomb. That's no. so disappointing. Sorry, it's not God. me. It could have been the me, first. But... Here, we'll we'll have to settle for okay, dating so... advice, which we're happy happy to get. Although yes. you know, look, if we find a writer, a nerd, a banker, you know, w- we might pass them along. Would you go on a blind date if we set you up? Oh, that's tough. I've had friends try to fix me up, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. Just have I, I say to them, have a cocktail party with a lot of people, and I'll just Great. come in and kind of like oh, even better. <laughs> we're so gonna do that. Look at the scene. <laughs> I, yeah, look no. at the scene. But can we? Let's change the subject to something else. Do you, you know, you, no, no, I'm serious. I was, you know, you had an epiphany. I had an epiphany today when I was driving to my academy. I was thinking about women and equal rights and this whole feminism thing that's, you know, that this whole issue about equal prize money and about, about, you know, respecting women and valuing women. And that whole subject has come up the last few years, which unlike, Renee, you and I, you know, we've been in, in a man's, we've lived in a man's world a lot. I mean, from tennis to even TV broadcasting is sort of like a man's world, although they're all evolving a little bit, but women just want to be valued, you know, and respected and listened to. But I was thinking about, I have three sons, you know, let's not forget the little boys. Let's teach our little girls this, but let's not forget these little boys who are bullied if they cry or are bullied if they're sensitive. And I think the same goes for little boys. And I think we're missing that boat. We're not kind of stressing that. You know, it goes both ways with little girls and little boys, don't you think? Yeah, and uh, just to jump in here, I have a son. I have a, I have one child and he's four. And thinking a lot about he's being raised by two mothers. You know, my wife and I live in New York. And he's got a lot of strong women around him. And one of the things I hope to do for him, you know, I was really upset, frankly, when I saw the penis on the sonogram because I was thinking, what? what am I going to do with a boy? Like I want to raise the next female president, <laughs> right? I don't know how to, I don't know how to relate to a man or a boy or, or, you know, what could I possibly teach this kid? But I, I love that you brought that up because I think now it's my responsibility as a mom to raise a good man, to raise a good son who respects women, who understands how to express his feelings and doesn't have to sort of internalize that toxic male culture where yeah. he's told that he can't have feelings or can't be emotionally expressive and he's got to be tough. And I think you're absolutely right to bring that up. And I wonder, yeah. you know, you spend a lot of time around kids at your academy and do you see ways to sort of take the Me Too you know, from, from the broadcast booth or from the corporate world or, you know, certainly from the tour into, you know, these young minds? Like, how does that, where does the rubber hit the road for you in terms of, of working with young players, a lot of whom are boys at the Everett Academy? Oh, my gosh. I, you know, like our girls are bolder and our girls are, you know, more communicative and they're more engaging. And when I walk over to them, when I walk over to the boys, they're like, they're so shy and they like, don't, they, they don't know quite how to view me. Cause I'm a woman coach. And first of all, there are not too many 
women coaches um, in tennis. So when they see a woman coach, it's like they don't they and and then you know I guess with my record and everything they they don't know. So I I really try to sit and have some humor with them and sort of relax them and and but I find that they they like are more eager to listen to me sometimes or most of the time than the girls, the boys are. And I love that. And I see the sensitivity and I see the shyness and I'm, I'm like, Oh, I, you know, you're, you're a mom of a boy. I'm a mom of three boys. I mean, I kind of like kind of got a little upset when, um, my son went to Boulder and he, he was interested in playing on the tennis team and they didn't have a tennis team because yeah. of title nine, because of title nine, because, which Blame is fair, Billy. Blame Billy. Way. No, the Title IX is fair. But football, I mean, they took all the scholarships. There's no tennis. There's no wrestling. There's there are no. They took like six sports away from the boys. And I'm like, what? You know, so I was like sad for my son, you know. And again, I the last 20, my oldest son's 26 years old. I mean, the last 26 years, I've, I've lived in a house with three, three boys and one husband, well, more or less. And they're all men. <laughs> They're all men, you know. I'm I'm a nurturer, so I try I try to. As a result, my boys, if anything, they're all they're, they are all sensitive, and they are all understanding, and they treat women well, and they are you good know, boys. I, I feel like Andy, thank God, was emotional. I mean, I he wasn't the kind of father that would say, you know, man up, stop crying, don't be a wuss, don't be a baby. You know, he was he was more like. Okay, get it out. All right, let's let's get it out. It's a good sign. Get it out. It'll make you feel better. It'll clear the air, and um, you know. But but I do. I feel I feel like there's so much emphasis on women and and little girls, rightly so. But let's also add to that um, men and and little boys and women mothers who are bringing up little boys. Let's just let's help them out a little bit, you know, with with some advice and some thoughts that we our observations if anything. I absolutely love hearing you talk about that. And I was a recipient of Title IX playing uh, actually in the Big 12 conference at the time, the University of Missouri, which which played against Colorado, um, the Buffaloes. And I remember thinking, because as you know, Title IX was slowly getting enacted at all the different schools, instead of creating parity between the genders by increasing a ton of women's sports, keeping the tennis teams and keeping the soccer teams and keeping the wrestling teams, they just cut the men so yeah. that they didn't have to touch the football yeah. programs because the football programs yeah. are so enormous. And I do wonder, especially with, you know, CTE and parents being a little bit more concerned about getting their little boys playing football, maybe it will be a scenario where some of these teams that are smaller right. can can thrive and, and maybe college tennis for men can thrive again because I miss it. I feel like it's only really 20 schools, but it, it for the women, it's tons more. Tons more. And I mean, and, and on the other, on the flip side for a girl, it's like every, every single girl at our tennis academy for the last 24 years has graduated and gotten a scholarship at a, a college for tennis. That's amazing. Every single one. Wow. Every hundred percent, hundred percent. And even if it's not Stanford and if it's not UCLA, it's still a good, a good school. They're playing, you know, college tennis and so that's the flip side. I always encourage parents. I go, listen, this is a great tennis is a great investment because there are there are so many colleges that take, you know, that have tennis for girls. That that is wonderful. But but in answer to your question, I find that the little girls now um, are growing up to voice their opinion and to be bold and to be fearless. And and I find that the boys, again, they internalize and they also need to be encouraged to bring it out, even if it's emotion, even if it's tears, even if it's frustration, they need to get it out too. Because I think the younger boys, I think, you know, that will stay with them and present problems later on in life if they don't remedy that right away. I love it, Chrissy. I, I, the thing that I think that people will hopefully get from this also is that, you know, they sort of knew you as a player and they see you do TV, but you know, when you're doing television, you're talking the X's and O's about matches, about players, but I think what hopefully people get from this podcast a little bit today is a little bit more of like who you really are, which is incredibly sensitive. You are incredibly caring. You're a great mom. Your boys are awesome. Like I know your family, your mom's amazing. You had an incredible relationship with your father. I mean, you, you truly are such a good person. You are unbelievably supportive of, of me throughout my tennis career and my broadcasting career and everyone around you always feels important to you. And, and, 
you're you're amazing, and I hope you always feel that um, from everyone. Oh, you're so but sweet. But I, I love you. But but I know somebody that you also love who 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 oh, is part you. of this podcast on a regular basis. We hope as a fashion. What do we call her, Caitlin? She's our roving fashion correspondent, someone you know and love, Chris. I do love her. What is the obsession uh, with your love for for our our buddy, Petco? She's beautiful and strong and opinionated and evolved. Oh, good word. You know, tennis players are are interesting because a a lot of tennis players, like you say, are more interested in, in the X's and the O's and their competition, and they come out with the same answer and you know she played well and I need to work on a few things and but there are a few players that um, are very introspective and that are that are very intellectual and that um, are very evolved and, and come up come out with these philosophical sayings and and ideas and I think she's one of them I think she's really she's like too good for the game of tennis she needs to go on to things that are that are deeper and she is. It sounds like she is with you guys. She just wrote a story kind of touching on one of the things that, you know, you noted uh, in terms of her interest in, in the rest of the world. She just was on a tour with a rock band and wrote about it and how it was similar oh. to the tennis tour. And, and so with that said, I thought, you know, while I have you on air and you're, you're trapped, just I would extend the same invitation. So if you decided you wanted to go you know, live at an ashram or you wanted to go take a hot air balloon ride or something, you know, if you wanted to go on a series of blind dates, which it sounds like you def- definitively do not, but you know, no, anything, the world's your it. oyster. You can contribute to our magazine anytime you'd like, um, and, and be counted among the pages along with, uh, our dear friend, Andrea Pekovic. Thank you. <laughs> she means that, you know, she means that, you know, I, I, and part publisher of Tennis Magazine. So I've heard, I've heard that. Work. I've heard that. Yeah, Caitlin's heard that. But, you know, but you, you can give back to the, the general com- community of tennis. Yes. We, we don't see ourselves as competitors. We're, we're, I, we're complimentary. I, I love the ashram idea. That's, I don't know. I'd like to, Renee, do you want to do that one day with me? Just like, go to India and sort of meditate and do well, yoga. Well, and, I, I would actually love to do that with you, but just... So, you know, I've actually been meditating for the last month, if you believe it or not. I actually did a course. I'm meditating every day, Chrissy. Do you meditate? Do I meditate? What do you think? Yes. All the time. My whole life has been about meditating. You don't think I meditate on the court? No, but there's a difference. There's like legit meditation, like 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. Like you have your mantra. Do you have a mantra? You don't tell me your mantra. No, I, you know what? I don't do the conventional meditation. No, no, no. I have my own meditation that I can quiet myself. And I can quiet my mind. I do remember seeing that face on the court. It was like, mm, just gonna. Do- hey, look out! I work outside the box a little bit. Oh, okay, all right. And by the way, I'll go to an ashram with you. Yeah, we got to go now. You can bring your girlfriend too. It's <laughs> the, the current one at the time. Um, I think meditation and yoga and centering yourself. I mean, all that. You know, it's all. It's like all those cliches are all correct. <laughs> They're all right. <laughs> you know, right? Therapy. Oh, for sure. I've been in therapy. I've done a lot of therapy in my life, and it's 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 helped me a lot. It's helped me a lot because it just makes you think. I, I'm gonna Sorry. I'm gonna make a deal. Let, let's if you go to an ashram in India, I, I will go with you because if we are still single, okay. we might need to go to an ashram just to be able to deal with it. <laughs> okay, and you're gonna write a story about it. Clearly, I'm not because I'm gonna be meditating over there. That's a deal. <laughs> okay. All right, that's a deal. You can pay for it. So as you just heard, everybody loves Petco. Chris Everett loves Petco. I guess it's probably time this week that we hear from Petco. It is time that we hear from our fashion correspondent, Andrea Petkovic. Live with a report from Paris. Welcome to Fashion with Andrea Petkovic. Hello from Paris, cosmopolitan listener of Racket magazine. Everything and nothing has changed here. Men still look like confused professors with a laissez-faire attitude, disheveled hair and unshaved faces, wearing chemise, woolen sweaters and navy blue blazers on top. 
female residents of Paris still opt for neutral colors in their clothing, a strong red lip in their makeup, and a sexy nonchalant fringe to go with their hairstyle. And generally, the motto in Paris is, less is more, and if you do more, you're clearly a tourist. It's not Parisian fashion, if not at least one of your accessory du choix is male and you put in a lot of effort to look effortless. Haven't started smoking yet? Now is the time and this is the place to do so. Pick out your favorite scarf, jump on a moped, wear your favorite flats and head to the French Open where Tout Le Monde waits just for you. In other fashion news, Racket Magazine's favorite hipster and tennis fashion icon, Benoit Père, has blessed the world with a platinum blonde hairdo he pairs, attention wordplay, with a wild beard underneath. We from Racket's fashion department say, Bien fait to you, monsieur, and may the odds be ever in your favor when it comes to style. Hashtag trendsetter. Reporting live and exclusively from Paris, France, I am Petko, and this was Fashion. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri, Taylor Dalton, and the team at ACAST. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.